Welcome to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. We're going to talk a little Lamar Jackson today with our old friend Matt Waldman. You can find the podcast at the Browns Note on Twitter. You can find me at FTBL Sickness. You'll be able to find Matt at Matt Waldman. And I asked Matt to come on, and originally the backstory here is, those of you that have heard the episode from a couple of weeks ago that went a tad long, well, this is actually part of the continuation of that discussion. This is more like the after party. But I had originally asked Matt on to do the case for Josh Rosen. I had heard him do it effectively on Locked on Browns. Uh, I knew he was partial to Rosen. But Matt almost immediately said, well, tell you what, can I do Lamar Jackson? And as soon as he said it, I heard, you know, the voices of angels and alarm bells going off in my head like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So I was so glad that Matt wanted to want to do the case for Lamar, because I think it's a specific case. I think it's a unique case. And I would I, I always enjoy Matt's sort of unique perspective on these things. But for a guy like Lamar Jackson, it's perfect because Matt has sort of this way of articulating things that will be particularly useful in the case of Lamar Jackson. But anyway, uh, Matt and I this was our first opportunity to actually speak. And so we had, we had spent years going back and forth on Twitter. And so we had all these things we wanted to talk about. And then by the time it got down to Lamar Jackson, uh, well, we, we kept talking. So (laughs) that's what you'll hear here. Um, if you'd be so kind, please do drop us a review on iTunes, uh, or any other way that you're listening to this thing. I am old. So I assume that the service and all that is distributing it to various places, but if there's somewhere in particular, uh, that you're not getting it, that you want it, let us know. The uh, the Twitter the Twitter handles are the best way for that. But I wanted to get into Lamar Jackson into some aggressive depth because it has bothered me for, I don't know, damn near a couple of years now that his name is not more frequently mentioned among the opportunities for quarterback in this draft when, indeed, he has been awfully, awfully productive. Obviously a Heisman Trophy winner, a guy that admittedly plays the game with a more athletic flair than your standard NFL quarterback. Um, but I think, for me, looking back on careers of guys who've had sort of a similar profile, if you want to overdo it, you know, the way he throws the ball does remind me a little bit of Vic. It's not, it's not quite as big an arm, but that same wrist flick and the ease with which it comes out and the quickness with which in the snap with which it comes out, uh, even though it looks a little unorthodox, um, man, awful lot of ability in that, in that arm, the right arm in the case of Lamar Jackson. And obviously he's just a complete problem with the football in his hands in the open field. Now, of course, if you're analyzing as analyzing him as a quarterback, you have to balance those things, right? You got to worry about him getting hurt a little more. You got to ask yourself whether um, X, Y, or Z is going to work quite as well in the NFL, and that that stuff's all reasonable to me. But when I see criticisms that 
he doesn't understand NFL concepts or he's a run-first guy as opposed to, in my view, a guy who happens to be able to run like crazy and therefore be a fool not to employ that skill but is also a very talented passer. This is not Mike Vick coming out of Virginia Tech in the sense that this is a kid who clearly studies the game. This is a kid who plays for a coach who has a, a strong NFL pedigree and has mastered that offense. So you could tell me a lot of things. You could tell me his accuracy is a little erratic, whatever. And, you know, I might agree with you to, to an extent. But for me, if you're having a conversation about the future of your organization in the NFL in the year 2018, and you're not including a guy like Lamar Jackson in that conversation, based on everything we know, I mean, look, maybe he you know, throws food at old women as they cross the street in his off time, and we just don't know about it or whatever. But what I'm telling you is, based on the way this guy plays the game and has produced over a an extended period of time for a coach who is who was once hired as an NFL coach for his offensive play design and philosophy and coaching um, for that guy, not to be in your, in your conversation. I, you know, I'm going to ask some questions and I mean, that's not to say that you're just absolutely wrong. If you don't love Lamar Jackson, I'm just saying a guy with his career, it should be at least a rebuttable presumption that he's a pretty good quarterback. And, I'm not even going to give the time of day to things like position change and all that. The question is, can you as an organization commit to playing football with a little bit of fear that your guy's going to get hurt while running it? I mean, that's basically the way I see this. To me, this isn't you have to slow everything down and change your whole program. And so, look, I know there are people out there that are going to disagree with that, but that's why we do these things. And that's why I had Mr. Matt Waldman on this episode of the Browns Note Podcast, because if there's anybody I can bounce these kinds of ideas off of and know that I'm going to get measured, uh, researched, and significantly more expertise uh, feedback than my initial input, uh, it is with a guy like Matt. And with that, let's turn now to our discussion, because it goes on for a while, as did the first one with Matt, but it was such a pleasure to have him on again. This is Matt Waldman on the Browns Note Podcast making the case for Lamar Jackson. All right. I'm joined now, yet again, by my friend Matt Waldman. At Matt Waldman on Twitter. You can find him at Football Guys. He's a staff writer there. You should be all over his rookie scouting portfolio, which takes you through the details of the entire draft class every year, all the weapons. Um, it's an offensive skill position focused uh, piece of work, but it's a remarkable piece of work. Matt, so excited to talk to you again. How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing great. This is, you know, this is a fun time and it's going to be fun to kind of shoot the, shoot it about, you know, you can quarterbacks say it. <laughs> here right now. Man, I know. I don't, never know what I can say on a podcast. No, this is, a, this is quote. an HBO quality podcast. You can say what oh, you want. Oh, beautiful. There, there were many F-bombs dropped on the, what are you talking about? Take a running back first, number one overall episode that I had with, <laughs> that I had with Brendan Leister last week. We were, uh, we were taking that idea down. So yeah, you, you should feel, uh, 
not bashful. Feel free. If but. if I could if I could imitate Bobby Hill from King of the Hill, <laughs> but have him say "What the fuck are you talking about?" Then rather than "I don't know what you're talking about," yes. in like the in like his father, you know, his grandfather-in-law's voice, you know, at the deli, that would be that would be fun. But I can't do that. Well, this is a grown-up show, so feel free to do as you may. Um, But the purpose of this episode is to, so I've invited various people on who have either professed great, great uh, sort of uh, conviction about or willingness to make the case for a given quarterback prospect in this draft. And for me, they're really for the matter. I'll just tell you, Brendan last week on the podcast said, look, Josh Allen so far doesn't exist to me. Uh, he's willing to make his his opinion change based on sort of some all twenty two study he's going to do, but for the most part, we've sort of, for me, it's look, I've seen enough of Rosen to know that I think if you don't think he's in the discussion, I kind of wonder what you're looking at. More or less the same thing with Darnold. More or less the same thing with Mayfield. More or less the same thing with Jackson. For different reasons on each guy. I have things I like about each guy. I absolutely have things about each guy that make me go, well, he's not perfect. But this being the world it is, 2018, I'm not looking for perfect. I'm looking for a guy that can win me 10 games to start, maybe win me a division, and then let's get into a playoff run and see if Nick Foles can't win me a goddamn Super Bowl. And so I'm wondering... You were you were kind of you have been out there. You I know you appeared on Lockdown Browns, talked a lot about Josh Rosen, and so that's sort of a nice reflection off of this. You asked for the Lamar, Lamar Jackson assignment on this one. Tell me why. Yeah, because I think that he's not only a quarterback prospect and not a wide receiver prospect, but I think th- th- in my grading. The only other quarterback prospect that I like more than him is Josh Rosen. Um, He's my number two quarterback in this class. And I think that there's a gap between Rosen and Jackson at this point. And there's a gap between Jackson and Darnold. And then there's an even bigger gap between Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Um, And the reasons are is that you may look at Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen and say, we're going to put them on the field right now and we're going to give them certain types of you know, do certain things with our offense to cater to them and they could produce right away. You could probably do the same things with Jackson, but the the thing about Jackson is that he's a, he's kind of a dangerous pick and it's not as much because of what he, he does or doesn't offer. It's because football teams in the NFL do not develop quarterbacks worth a darn. <laughs> when you take a look at, I mean, think about it. This Can way. I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, let's look at it this way. It's not just the Browns. It's just the when you think about, you know, Dan Hatman over at the Scouting Academy, he did a stud a quick little study that showed that I think first round quarterbacks were at a hit rate of like 35% in recent years. I did one like 3 or 4 years ago that showed it was that for top 15 quarterbacks taken in the top 15 picks was was like a 45% rate of becoming a franchise caliber player in the way that I defined what that was. So when you look at 35 and 45%, if you had a pass fail, if you had a school that had a pass fail rate of 35 to 45% or a graduation rate of that, 
public school systems might be taking a serious look at about shutting you down, you know. And when you take a look at quarterback being the most important position in football and supposedly the hardest position in sport, and you don't have the means to develop them, I mean, think about this. When we always hear, oh, they'll get coached up. That is the biggest myth in in pro football because being coached up in in pro football is being coached to scheme. They spend most of their time on scheme. And if you've ever, you know, we talk about different ways of looking at things. But when you talk about like if you've ever played music or your kids in band or you you've done any type of performance art, whether it's a play or dance or whatever it is, you know, any, anyone, you know, who's even done that, they always go to rehearsal. And when they go to rehearsal, their rehearsal or practice, the equivalent of football practice is there's always some sort of drills that they do to warm up. How long do those drills take? Do they spend an hour doing them? No, they spend like five minutes on each drill maybe do 15 minutes worth of drills and then they get started for the length of that practice or rehearsal time practicing for the event that they're getting ready for for that performance which is the game or the recital or the concert or the play and that and so they're working on all the things that have to do with that they're not working on getting becoming better actors or better musicians or better football players. Most of their practices are that. So the time away from the practice field and those organized practices, the time that they need to take to do that extra work. So maybe those those drills that they're doing early on are helpful, but they need to like do those every day for several for a lot longer periods of time and do a lot of other things. And they usually have to seek out their own assistance you know, their own consultants and their own coaches, and they have to develop their own approach to nutrition. They have to develop their own workout regimen and program. They have to, they have to figure out how to study tape and do all these things. They sometimes, if they have a good enough veteran quarterback, like Deshaun Kaiser didn't have, they can have someone that teaches them some of the things that they should start looking into and doing and showing them some of the ropes. Otherwise they're kind of on their own. You know, and they don't learn it in college. They only get 20 hours of practice a week or whatever it is. And they still have to at least, if you're going to be your most pessimistic, say that they at least have to fake it through the school part of it if they weren't there for school in the first place or if the school steered them away from the majors that they really wanted to do and put them in some interdisciplinary study thing um, that you know, really isn't a degree that they wanted to do. And, but they get the easy grade and they have the tutor and the tutor helps them out, whatever. But there's a lot going on away from football and they're being monitored all day long to make sure they go to class and they go do the things they're supposed to do. But a lot of it isn't about getting better as a player and the teams get them to just be good athletes. So when you get to quarterback and the way that the, the way that this is all set up you you got to understand that these quarterbacks have to develop themselves. And as a result, um, you know, they look at a guy like Lamar Jackson and they say his completion percentage is low. He doesn't have great mechanics. Um, he was he's raw because <laughs> for the first two years he was a runner and and he ran 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 and that and we don't like running quarterbacks you know now they call them dual threat 
But, you know, we don't, you know, those types of things. Yeah, he's exciting. Yeah, he can break plays, but he's raw. And as a result of that, they, they're afraid of that because they know, whether they want to admit it or not, that they lean on the college game to train their quarterbacks because they don't do it. And they don't keep multiple quarterbacks on a roster because they can afford it or they haven't made provisions for it. So they don't have any it. development system Speak going on. on. It. Yes. So as a result, is it's a catch-as-catch-can system. And these guys develop by accident or they were already ready to begin with. And they're only just going to get better. So you're either hoping you drafted a prodigy or you're hoping you lucked into a great player. The thing is, is that Jackson is a much better player in all the ways that people describe him in the opposite way. Like they, they say to Jackson, I mean, Ryan, you know, what I heard at first when I, 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 like I say, I tend to isolate myself from a lot of the narratives early on. So I didn't, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm very lucky with it because I've purposely done that where I, you know, I program my Twitter and I say, look, here's the content I put out. I put it out, you know, I, I, I link to it several times a day. I'll come on a couple times to answer questions and talk with people and yuck it up with you and talk about different things with different folks. But I, I don't usually see some of the news or narratives. I've filtered a lot of that out. So I literally, the first time I watched Lamar Jackson ever was this past July, and I didn't even know he had won the Heisman Trophy the last year. I had no idea, and I'm actually proud of that. Like uh, that blows people's minds that I study football and wouldn't know who watched the who won the Heisman Trophy. But I don't care about that stuff. I just care whether they're good or not. That's my job. It's almost like Danny Werfel won the Heisman Trophy one time. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you know, you look at that. You look at those things, and so I watched his game, and all I heard in the narratives that I did hear was that he was a runner. So I watched, I pull up North Carolina State, who is very well, I like to watch quarterbacks against NC State when I get it, when when they have them on the schedule, because NC State usually plays a lot of press man coverage, man tight man to man, they usually have a good defensive front with some pretty good athletes who can get a push, and it forces the quarterback to have to make tight window throws, or the wide receivers to have to win in press coverage. So I'm watching Lamar Jackson, and you know I'm watching a red zone play, and he drops back, he slides. He does a beautiful job of sliding away from pressure with controlled footwork, um, looking off a safety in the red zone to the left, and then throwing back on the back on the second of the double slants to the right over a, um, a defender in the middle of the field after he had basically done about three very different things all at once. And was kind of, you know, juggling those balls in a way where he made it just look effortless and manipulated the defense in a way that the way he was characterized as you would have thought would have happened is, is he would have dropped back three steps, felt the pressure, dropped his eyes, made this wild move to spin around, run around eight million different ways, and then try and force the ball in there and it be intercepted because that's the way they're characterizing Lamar Jackson is as if that's how he plays football. When in fact, Lamar Jackson plays in Bobby Petrino's pro-style offense, so he takes drops from center. He has to do shifts. He has to send guys in motion. He has 
you know, reading the field when you drop back is different than reading the field from a shotgun. So he's used to being able to make those types of reads with the line closer to him, more action going on so that when he sees flashes of color, he doesn't flip out and drop his eyes and spin around and doesn't make plays like Josh Allen, for instance, where he, you know, to me, quarterbacks have in the pocket, there are two basic maneuvers and I've classified them as fight or flight. And when a quarter and and they quarterbacks all do both, but you want to see more fight than flight mm, because this is you, good. what and so you think about boxing, the whole boxing metaphor. You know, when a boxer's you know mixing it up with his opponent and he starts to get in trouble, does he does he anchor in so that he can feint or duck or dodge and then deliver a counter punch? And he has his feet under him and in control so that he's ready for that counter punch when he, as he anticipates what his opponent is going to do. Or is he going to start to run and try and, you know, use the ring to get away right. and buy time? Is so he, he engaging in the central hurt? purpose of the endeavor or is he running from the central purpose of the endeavor? Exactly. And so when you watch these guys, you know, Lamar Jackson, he gets compared to Michael Vick. Well, Michael Vick was in except for his first year back from prison in Philadelphia, where he actually was more fight than flight and looked like the quarterback that, uh, you know, that the Falcons were begging him to try and become. Um, He was mostly a flight player. The minute pressure arrived, he duck his head. He would make a a dramatic move to try and break the pocket. And when you do that, even if you make the dramatic move not to break the pocket, but to just get away from a defender, if you, if you don't have your feet under you, so then you have to spend more inefficient time to reset so that you can even then get your eyes back to coverage and adjust to throw. When you look at Tom Brady, who was a boxer in college you see him and he's got wonderful footwork where he anticipates when he's supposed to move. He has the patterns down of how to move given the, the direction and angle of that puncher, I would call him at that point. And he's ready to throw that counter punch, which is to the receiver. And when you look at Lamar Jackson, he actually has, he is the best pocket owner in this draft, which is crazy. Well, shit, I couldn't agree with that anymore if I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, he, this is crazy. And it's so ironic because everyone says he's the next Michael Vick and he is, he's a better Michael Vick. He's way better as a passer than Michael Vick was. Not yet. And you know who, you know who Michael Vick should have become? He should have become Steve Young. And Steve Young tried to work with Michael Vick. They brought him in to work with him to learn to tie his feet to his routes. So if Lamar Jackson is a way better Michael Vick, that means that what he's aspiring to become is Steve Young. And so when you look at Lamar Jackson and you see that he has quiet feet, which Tony Romo described about Jared Goff, you know, which Tom Brady has, which is the ability to move away from pressure be able to make that throw and be in a balanced position to throw accurately, but also not eat the space of your pocket to the point where you're inviting further pressure because guys like Baker Mayfield drift in the pocket. He doesn't own the pocket when, when the pocket, you know, basically closes off on the edges, he tries to get to the edge and he didn't need to move that far. And he ends up basically, um, 
basically killing his tackles blocks because yeah, he runs it's tough into to argue angles. with his results, but I agree with you. It's, it, it's a difficult projection going forward because of that. Yeah. He creates, he creates chaos cause he, he, he thrives in chaos, but now he just, he creates it too often sometimes. So the projection that's hard that you got to try and make is, you know, will he get better at that? And will that actually hurt him in the NFL if he doesn't get better at it? And I would contend it will hurt him in the NFL if he doesn't get better at it. Because you look at the Georgia game, you look at TCU, Oklahoma State, aspects of some of those three games. And when teams could make tight man coverage, you know, plaster their receivers with tight man coverage, and they could, you know, close off those exit lanes on the outside, um, Baker Mayfield struggled. Um, and he and because he he's got great statistical accuracy but he doesn't have great pinpoint accuracy and there's a difference in that. And when you look at Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have great statistical accuracy, but if you look at it, there's a number of ways to look at that. One of the things is that Lamar Jackson, when you look at drop rates, he had one of the highest drop rates among his receivers um, in college football last year of the draft eligible quarterbacks. So you're looking at a guy who had a 12% drop rate among his receivers. If you just took the simple raw 12% and added it to his 59%, you know, completion percentage, suddenly he's way above that magical number. He's not 56.2. I know that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. So he's, he ends up being at 71% and you're going, oh, okay. So, you know, when I only watch nine of his games, you know, so Is I watch all? nine of, that's all. Yeah. So I only watch nine of his games, but I decided, okay, I chart, I chart games when I watch them. And I chart drops, but I never chart drops the way of like, I try and give the benefit of the doubt that, that the quarterback, it was on the quarterback to make the good throw. So if the receiver has to make what I deem a difficult catch to me, a difficult catch is a target that, that he shouldn't, that you shouldn't have counted him counted it as a drop. If he drops sure. the ball, the, for, now, forgive me for interrupting you. Let me ask you yeah. this question because sure. this, this to me is sort of where the rubber meets the road on the charting of accuracy, catchable passes, interceptable passes, whatever you, you know, yeah. there, there are a number of diff- different ways that different people come at it. And I think there's no real reason why any of them can't be valid. So my question for any of you that do this kind of thing is where do you sort of reconcile the, catchability prospect which is okay here's where the ball hits the guy against to me what is the bigger quote the bigger factor in this whole process which is are they on the same page did they see the same thing did they think they were each going at the same route yes and that's very important so for me if the if the route like that's a that and that's exactly where i'm heading with that because for while for quarterback when i judge when I chart their games and if a receiver drops a pass that was, you know, behind the receiver and it was clear that he was throwing, you know, the outside curl and the receiver ran the inside curl and then he tried to make the adjustment and drop the ball. To me, that's not a drop. That's a bad throw. Um, you know, and I would look at if I, if I look at it and deem that it was the quarterback's fault and usually it is because it's on him to have to communicate to the receiver, even if the receiver and so the is the reading one that made of the, the route becomes a component to whether it's a good yes. throw or not. Yes. And you have to, and part of what your component of I score players too is say, is the quarterback on the same page with his receivers? Because if I see that multiple times in the game or multiple times, 
or at least once a week with the same receiver and the same quarterback, then the answer is probably no. But then I start to look more to the receiver because if it's the same receiver every week, like Marquise Lee every sure. week, not being on the same page with his quarterback, then I'm like, that's on Marquise Lee. But in the real if, world, we default to that being the quarterback's job, right? That's right. That's right, because he's the leader, and he's the one that's got to hold them accountable. So you you look at it from that standpoint. But on the same token, when I grade receivers, if the if the ball if the ball is within range for him to make an athletic adjustment and it hits him on the hands more times than not, unless there's a unless it's one of those situations <laughs> where you better catch that shit, <laughs> then I'm going to say you better catch it, you know, and. But and I will look at it from that standpoint. Now I will mark. There are certain plays where I will literally write down. You know, there are things where sometimes where I'll go, okay, it was called out of bounds, but I know I believe it was in bounds. I'm counting it as a catch, and it was an incredible play. And I'm gonna and and I'll score certain things that way and differently. You know, a little bit. So it's not always as reliable as you know some stat service in terms of how they they may play exactly by the rules but, no, but i prefer point, that to be totally honest with you just as yes. a, as a subjective viewer of the game somebody has to make those calls and if, yeah. it, if it, i just look i i price into that analysis that i will have to reconcile my view of it with he who is the official scorer and such is life yeah yeah so when i look at a guy like jackson and i looked at those nine games and they were games against the likes of nc state clemson twice florida state um Mississippi State, you know, some of his best and worst games. And I, I counted up the drops and the way that I graded drops, you know, they were conservative estimates. They weren't just they weren't just the oh, the ball bounced off the receiver's hands. They had to be they had to be throws that weren't difficult catches to make. And so, you know, it was a lower drop there were fewer drops that I marked on Jackson. Even then when I adjusted his completion percentage um, I believe that the number I had, I just wrote it down yesterday in the chapter and I don't have it right offhand, but I believe he was at a 68 completion percentage when I adjusted it that way. So you, you, you know, even if you adjust conservatively, even in a nine game sample, his completion percentage was much higher. So if you're going to value completion percentages as an important factor, you, you can say, well, when Bill Parcells came up with that, that thing and or the other GMs or coaches who came up with that in the 80s and 90s, while data was available, it was not easily manipulatable um, and to be able to filter and do all the different things with it that they surely would have done. Um, right. You know, right. if they had the means or the thought process to this conceive why Walsh of that was ahead of his game. Exactly. So you look at that and you. You, you see that and go, okay, so that 60% shouldn't be treated like the hard and fast rule in the way that people read certain religious texts and say it's the exact <laughs> word, you know? So, you know, that, you know, that's just my opinion. If that's how you are, you know, I'm glad you're trying to live your life the best way you can. But the, the, the thing, the, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. I, I do, I do value you on that sense, but you know, at the same time, when you look at, and when you look at Jackson, so yeah, the adjusted percentage is there. But then you talk to somebody like my friend Russ Landy, who does GM Junior, who's a former scout, and he's, you know, we were writing back and forth about quarterbacks, and he was telling me, you know, the way that he charts, he does a weighting system based on the Football Outsiders um, grading of accuracy, and he has his own special weighting system that's based on, you know, the the distance of the throws. And he said that he had Lamar Jackson graded out as um 
as low of a quarterback on accuracy that he has seen in the re- in recent years, and he was on the level of Jake Locker and Terrell Pryor, which is not promising at all. You know, it's not. But look, Jake Locker went top eleven, if I'm remembering right. And yeah, and you know, yeah. there's that there's that view of it which says we're going to do X, Y, or Z with this guy that's going to minimize or maximize, you know, weaknesses versus, versus skills. Right. And so, I mean, I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is I think there are very few quarterbacks for whom that discussion, albeit a matter of degree, doesn't need to be had. Yeah. And, and so, you know, but say we entertain it just for the sake of it, you know, and we talked back and forth and I said, well, that's interesting, Russ, you know, and, and I, you know, I'd have to look into that some, but, you know, I got to say, you know, when I look at Lamar, you know, I really liked him and this is what I liked. And he said, no, don't get me wrong, Matt. I was stunned at how great he was in the pocket yes. and how he looked to throw first to the last minute. And what's so great about all of that pocket manipulation and movement is that because he's so comfortable in his athletic ability that he and he's also learned Bobby Petrino you know for all you could say about him he he literally made Lamar Jackson in practice anytime Lamar Jackson would bolt from the pocket he'd blow the whistle and then the play basically would not See, let Lamar the Jackson the Bobby Petrino run. thing blows my mind when yeah. I when I hear you know, quote unquote, anonymous scouts, or I see a Greg Gabriel tweet, and this is not to denigrate or drag or whatever word you want to use, Greg Gabriel, but I I feel like there are guys that not, you know what, look, it's a natural human tendency to leverage one's experience and expertise. Yes. Sometimes, however, we don't know everything. And so when I see somebody say something that based on X, Y, or Z, I know is provably false. I want to make sure that for cleanliness sake, I correct the record. My point is not to denigrate he who said X, Y, or Z. It's to merely make sure we are all coloring within the lines, so to speak. And so when I, when I look at Lamar Jackson and I hear critiques about, well, he's this far away. He, he's, if you want to draft him, you're looking at, and I heard, you know, you mentioned Gil Brand earlier, and this is, again, I love Gil Brand. I, I'm into football history. I like that there are people like Gil Brandt who are so into it that this is what they do all day with their entire lives. He was talking about the quarterback position and I'm, I'm and he was talking about Lamar and I'm just sitting here thinking he talks about how you might need two or three years to develop in him and I'm thinking, well, number one, I'm a guy that generally believes that almost any rookie quarterback for a number of reasons that we discussed on this podcast, on the one we just did for for the Browns note, it, look, most of these guys, the vast majority of them, would benefit from a year to sit on the bench, have a year to become a grown up in a new city, to learn a playbook, to learn the NFL game, to observe the speed of the game played by a different quarterback, so that they could understand what not to do. All this stuff, like I, I basically have long since been one hundred percent convinced that the vast majority of these guys, if not all of them, would benefit from that, even if it's not necessary for all of them. But I look at Lamar Jackson and I think, okay, here's a guy who's played a lot of games. He's taken a lot of snaps for a coach who's really demanding, who's been an NFL head coach on the back of his offensive prowess. And I think to myself, 
where the hell does all this Lamar Jackson isn't ready to at least come in and compete stuff? Yeah. And as and the casemaker, I ask you, where does it come from? It comes from the old embedded way of the way that NFL teams look at quarterbacks and they're looking at resume points and it goes back to Gil Brandt. What I realized and why I got into this is when Gil Brandt talked about the whole Brian Westbrook, if he'd be a couple inches taller and 10 pounds heavier, he'd be a top five pick. I realized as someone who was in, had that experience of hiring people that you always have to justify to your public, whether that, you know, your public may be the general public or it may be, you you know, your bosses and your supervisory staff and all the people that are going to work with the person you hire. You need to, you have to be able to justify why you're making your selection because if you don't on some level and they fail big, then you fail big. And so that's kind of what's inherently put into that. So when 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 general managers who, you know, can be have short job term, you know, short job tenures and maybe the staff that they brought with them can also be end up on the chopping block, they feel responsible for the staff that they have. And they want to make sure that they they're not letting people down and that they're doing a good job. And they're also playing the odds. And when it's a risk management issue, when you look at a top 15 pick, you're paying a lot more money, or you used to be at least, and you need to be able to justify that investment. So how do you justify what are tangible things you can use to say, I didn't make a screwed up pick. This guy just happened to screw up. Well, the the difference, the small little difference in that is he went to a big time program. He's tall. He's got the proper weight we're looking for. He played, you know, he exhibits technical skill that's clean and doesn't need a lot of work. He's someone that had a high level of production that we can measure in certain ways that we we may not be able to completely prove that it's a correlation, but we see some basic correlations there that that seem to be at least common sense, even though the stats may dictate otherwise. But when you look at those types of things, for every mark that the player doesn't have, for every bullet point the player doesn't have, the the more risk that player hat you know the more risky that player is for that pick so these guys they they you know when you think about the fact that they're going i've got a staff of 10 or 15 or 20 or 5 people who are relying on me to make these good decisions and i've heard all this media pressure before about who they loved and who should be good and they've told me they've ripped me a new one about why i don't like this guy but he's only 219 pounds. He's only 6'2", and 219 pounds doesn't sound light to us. But you know, with they're looking at 232 pound guys, and when you know Bill Polian makes the argument with Keyshawn Johnson that you know, look, he's thin, he's rail thin, he should be a receiver, and everybody's yelling at Bill Polian, and Keyshawn Johnson says. But he's, you know, but what about Drew Brees? And he goes, 
he's a different guy, different guy, and it's also about girth. <laughs> and they don't really go in to explain that, and everyone laughs, and it's true, and you can make fun of that. But I'll, I'll say this. I'll defend Bill Pol- – I'll try and pull off the magic trick of what I did in the RSP yesterday, which is trying to defend Lamar Jackson and Bill Polian at the same time. But that's – but the way that I look at it is that Bill Polian comes from that era, and he also – when you look at 219 on a, on a thin, wiry player – you have the experience to know that thin, wiry players tend to lose weight as the season goes along. They tend to play lighter because they can't hold on to that weight over the course of the season. And you can be concerned that that 219 suddenly becomes 205 or 202. And it's not unreasonable to say that. So if you're looking at Lamar Jackson at 219 and knowing he's got a good shot of being 209 and you're looking at a quarterback like Josh Allen who's 237 and probably could add 10 pounds to his frame and add that muscle pretty easily um, then you're looking at about a 35 pound weight differential but can he play but can he play and that's the thing is that but the problem is is that because they don't develop guys they have this shorthand system of cover your ass, you know, decision-making, which is it's if I pick Josh Allen, who also went to a decent program, has the size, has the height, plays in an I-formation offense, runs all the play action, has a big arm, has decent enough mechanics that we can work with. If he fails, I don't look as bad to the people that I'm answering to because I hit more bullet points than if I hit a player who is 6'2", 2'19", I'm looking for. Exactly, right? <laughs> that's, but that's, it's the same it's thing. It's totally realistic. It's extremely it's pragmatic so, and I hate it. <laughs> it and we all hate it because I'm at, you know, it's like play, it's like, it's like performance evaluations at work. If right. you've ever had to give them to employees, you've heard the unwritten code, which is usually, okay, we have a one through five scale. No one gets a five. No one gets a one unless we're planning on firing them. And most everyone is going to get somewhere between a three or a four. And occasionally they're going to get a two. And you basically intuit and learn that if you're going to give a five or give a two, you're probably going to have to talk to your boss beforehand to make sure that that's going to be cool or else you're going to look bad and you're going to be coming into question about why you did that. So it's, it's the same thing when it comes to hiring, you know, to recruiting these players. And what they don't understand is that Lamar Jackson may not fit those types of terms, but they have to look harder and answer those questions better, like the accuracy issue, and understand that you can filter out drops now. You don't have to just look at right. straight up. No, you can actually contextualize accuracy. people's play. You can, you contextualize their play. You can look at the fact that he that he may not he may have narrow base for footwork and that it causes him to lean to the left a little bit and the ball actually drifts a step or two behind the receiver on certain throws when he doesn't get his feet as well set as he needs to. Um, but that's correctable. What's correctable and what's not? And so what the NFL misses in these old school evaluations is that they judge the physical, the athletic, and the technical first. And then they presume that if the player has that, then that they'll get the enough experience that somehow the creative and the intuitive and the leadership will somehow magically bubble to the surface 
and they will be able to tie all those skills together into a neat bow and become that great player. When what they're doing is they have it completely backwards. Instead of looking for more is better on the physical, sometimes you say, is the physical enough? Is the technical enough? Can he learn more on the technical? And and yes, can he memorize plays? Okay, great, yeah. But what I want to see on tape is when he can he pull all those skills together and create productive moments in situations that are not familiar to him because he has his game on the mental, physical, conceptual level ingrained enough that it, it doesn't have to be something that he's rehearsed a million times to do. And when you look at Lamar Jackson's game compared to a Josh Allen's game, Lamar Jackson's game is it has that intuitive element. It has that element that if you're a boss, you know that just because, you know, if you have bosses who just do everything by the book, they're so rigid, they're so inflexible that when anything comes along that isn't the way it's supposed to be planned, they fall apart and the team falls apart. Everything goes into chaos and and they can't produce. But when you have a good manager, they know they know that things aren't working all that well, but they find a way to adjust. They, they, they figure out who to lean on. They figure out how to take certain skills that they have that are just seemingly disparate and tie them together to create a solution, or they identify what a problem is with a potential solution, and then they work upwards of maybe their coach or their manager, whoever you want to say they are, and say, hey, I know this is our game plan, but this isn't working, and I think this will work because when I look at the, the safety and how he's cheating up here and what the linebackers doing here and when that situation goes on they're playing this type of a coverage and i think we can beat them by doing this what do you think about that and the coach says well you know i think you should stick with what we're doing and and the player like a josh rosen or a tom brady or drew Brees, you know will basically say fuck you you don't know what you're talking about josh mcdaniels you you know you screwed this up three times and i'm not going to lose because of you you know, I'm, I need you to figure something out, you know, and that, that may not be nice and it may not be good for TV, even though he gets tons of commercials, but he's going to be getting your face and manage upward and say, I refuse to lose because of your incompetency. And you may be a great coach and we're going to play nice and make up together after this and have a beer about this. <laughs> if there's anything it, a Browns it, quarterback needs in today's day and age, it is that exact attitude. <laughs> and, and I think that Todd Haley can be that because Todd Haley would get in the – Todd Haley would get into Dwayne Bowe's face about, hey, he's only, he got Dwayne Bowe to be the player he was supposed to be for one year. I was kind of impressed about that. But I think that he's the type of player that Ben Roethlisberger probably after after games where things didn't go well probably went into the locker room and, and went to the coach's office and they probably had it out. Mm-hmm. I, it strikes me Todd Haley's the type of guy that, you know, that's why I liked Josh Rosen for them. You know, because of the Me fact too. that Rosen, I think Rosen, Rosen and Haley would get along so so well. It's yeah, ridiculous. yeah, because Rosen's the type of guy. Like I think about it this way: I had bosses that I had boss. I had a boss. A mutually well. antagonistic friendship. Yes, and and if things aren't, you realize it's about the work. And there are some people, you know, that are people pleasers. You know, Sam Darnold's a people pleaser, and there's totally. nothing wrong with oh, that. Man, totally. But he's a. But here's <laughs> here's the thing, you know, people pleasers are always afraid of having conflict to a certain degree. Well, and they don't so, always have someone that's receptive to that motif above them. 
Yes. And if and if the people pleasers your boss, then it becomes this look, I'm really I really feel like this needs to happen and then the people pleaser gets all upset and then you're comforting the people pleaser rather than trying to get the job done. But to me, sometimes it's great to have a boss who you know, things are going wrong. I remember, I remember having a boss when I was waiting tables way back in the day who was, who had a bad temper, but he was, he was very direct. And when he got angry, you knew it, but it was about getting the job done. And I remember we were understaffed one day and some, you know, and I'm having to handle like eight different tables when I should only have four. And so the food came out late. They wanted it free. I came back in there, asked for it. He was pissed off because he was understaffed on the line and he was cooking on the line. And, you know, he got angry and he said, tell them, you know, and he was just mad. And I knew what was up. And he said, tell them if you're, you know, this was not great management, but I liked certain things about the aspects of him. And he said, you know, tell them if you're, Tell them if you if we have to pay for it, they're going to fire you. And I I laughed because I knew him. He goes, no, I'm serious. And so I went back out there and I knew he wasn't serious. And I told them, you know, you know, tried to convince them again in another way other than that. And they said, no, I go back in there and he takes a walk in the in from the thing and throws it across the room up against the wall. You could hear it clang throughout the restaurant. Bad management. But still, you know, the point is, is that when you get into the heat of things and things get crazy, and sometimes you have to say, hey, look, you need to – and I remember saying to him, you got to calm down. Like seriously, people are hearing that out in the restaurant. You can't act that way. You're, we're going to lose more people here because you're having a temper tantrum. Go ahead and fire me then if that's how that's going to go. And then he yelled at me and cursed at me, and I said something back at him. And you know, at the end of the shift, he said, you want to have a beer? Uh, he go, I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And he said – you know, I appreciate what you did. I'm sorry I lost my temper. I'm like, no, it's all right. It was the heat of the moment, whatever. You know, did we get did we get through it? Yeah, we got through it, and you know, it all worked out fine. But that's what you need with a quarterback who's willing to look at an offensive coordinator and go, "You're not doing your job, and you need to do better." I'm doing mine. I'm trying to give you solutions. You're not giving me anything. You need to do something. You need someone who's going to push back like that. And I think that when you look at you know, a guy like Lamar Jackson, I don't know if he'll have that, but I know that he is a guy that works hard. I know that he is confident in his skills. I know that he throws with good accuracy. And even though it's not always pinpoint right now, when he does have to uh, move away from pressure, he's in control. He waits at the last moment to, to run, and when he does run, because he waits so long, his receivers, if it's man coverage, have run off their the de- defense to such a long distance that he has like a 15, 20-yard head start oftentimes to run, and you want Lamar Jackson with his speed and moves <laughs> to have a 20-yard head start? He creates that conundrum for defenses because if you put a spy on him— It's existence. It's like it's a gift. Yeah, and and so if he's if it's a zone, he can pick you apart because I've seen him against Florida State where they play zone and they got enough pressure on him finally that he finally decided to budge from the pocket and drop the anchor and decide to move. And when he did, he rolls out to his left, resets his feet, and he does this repeatedly on tape, fires the ball to his receiver and forces his receiver to turn his back so that the receiver doesn't take a hit right in the chest, but instead gets hit in the back <laughs> so he can protect the ball. Yeah, I mean, so – it may not have been a pinpoint throw, 
but it was exactly well placed where it needed to be. And this is what Jackson does intuitively well that a lot of quarterbacks don't do well. He and he can throw with accuracy and he shows the the potential for accuracy at every range of the field. He shows some touch. He's got the gun of an arm. He's you know, he's got the pocket presence. He can take hits and he's a he's a tough, stronger than you expect runner. And what happens is that teams look at him and they watched probably his sophomore highlights and his freshman highlights, and they totally pegged him as a runner non-thrower. Totally. And even, and how, but how do you watch that for more than a few quarters and not, not – how do you miss that? Because, look, I watch this guy and I'm thinking, okay, it's a release not unlike Michael Vick's. The flick of the wrist for 45 yards on the rope, right? The The – he has moments where it's almost, almost Russell Wilson, almost, um, look, he's got Cunningham moments. He's got, he's got moments of some of the most freaky dicky quarterbacks I've ever seen. Yeah. And I wonder why are we pretending that's not what we're seeing? Yeah. And, and I think that, I think that it's because, um, people don't want to believe what's in front of them. Um, when it's not other, that complicated with this guy, it, right? it's it's not. But it wasn't that complicated with Le'Veon Bell, and you know, it, it, I mean, the guy, yeah, the yeah. guy at two thirty ran short shuttles and 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 three cone times that were on par with Ahmad Bradshaw and Javid Best. True, Javid Best. He was on. He's two thirty, and he was Javid Best times. And and people were like, and I still hear the narrative. It drives me crazy. Oh well, he lost all that weight and he got quicker. Well, maybe he did, but he was already damn quick. And it drives me fucking nuts because it's like <laughs> it, because it was there. And I mean, but at the same time, even I was like, I remember the article that I often retweet or send out occasionally again about that is I say I I even then I'm showing that I'm. I'm still wrestling with that possibility because there's bias that occurs there. And ultimately I say, I believe well, because smart it. people say things and you have to listen to them. You, yes. And, and, and that's why I try to avoid listening to people altogether because <laughs> it's, because it's, it's not so much, it's because they're smart and I respect <clears> them, <throat> but I don't understand. I'm not going through their process. And the only way I'm going to get better is if I, stay true to my own process. So if it means that I'm just a complete dumb fuck for liking Nick Chubb slightly more than Sony Michelle, well that's okay because I Such thought life, in 2006 friend. that this guy named Mike Bell was uh capable of being a starting running back and I had him ranked sixth in the first RSP and I thought, yeah, this is gonna go real well. He didn't even get drafted. <laughs> and, you know you know and, what I've got and then I've he got, ended up starting for the Denver Broncos <laughs> that year. <laughs> I've got claims to fame on both sides of the spectrum. When I was just out of law school, uh the Tom Brady takes over for Drew Bledsoe. We go watch the Super Bowl at, you know, the the group of my buddies growing up since early high school so a 10-year stretch of dudes here and I'm sitting there watching this game and I somewhat offhandedly declare this Brady guy is going to be better than, than Peyton Manning you watch he's going to be a great yeah, quarterback that's great. so I this is now my longtime claim to I was right fame via football knowledge um, but I also loved say Johnny Menzel I also loved 
Trent Richardson. I also love, and they weren't just yeah, because they were being drafted by the Browns. It's because this game is hard to figure out. It is. And, uh, and when you look at this quarterback class, to me, this is the epitome of that because there's yeah. stuff to like about all these guys. But I don't, I don't really like, even if you're going to be really pragmatic and sort of wrote about the way that you break down a prospect, I don't know how you really poke huge holes in Lamar other than he's not super accurate. And, yeah. and some of that I think can be coached and accounted for. I do think you can coach base. Some of that stuff I think you can coach. And I also think you have to accept that if you're going to buy into Lamar, you have to own that some of what you love about that guy is what he does purely on his own football, Pop Warner level playmaking skills. And so I guess the sort of as we wrap this, I'm wondering, look, you have to – the idea of the podcast is the case for Lamar Jackson for the Browns, which presumably means you'd be taking him at one. How do you envision his fit with the Browns? What are you doing with this guy to ensure sort of a nice soft landing at the outset and a good long-term sort of prospectus? Well, let's see. I, I make sure that Josh, I make sure that Josh Gordon is still on the right track and everything's going well. Yes. I get another receiver Assumptions galore. Yep. I push another receiver to push Corey Coleman. I, I continue to add depth to my offensive line to have some redundancy in case those guys get hurt, that we got those two nice free agents. And I put him behind that good offensive line with a decent running a game with the, with an all world receiver who can erase inaccuracies as well as just get open and be able to throw him and hit him in stride in ways that Lamar Jackson actually can do. And you play pro style football because that's what he's been doing for the past three years. And you, you don't, you, you know, you can, incorporate some read option you can incorporate some design runs if you want to but don't do it too much because he is a pass first quarterback who just happens that when when it becomes painfully obvious that he can run not only will he but he will become a devastating runner because he'll weave through about five people and outrun the field so you you don't really forgive this question matt yeah forgive the interruption but I, i i sort of wonder and I tend to do this with guys. I just sort of pick one or two along a certain spectrum. And I, and I guess I feel like it's illustrative. And so you'll, we'll, we'll just all have to trust my instincts on this. Um, Marcus Mariota, Lamar Jackson, further along on the pro concept offense spectrum coming out of college. Um, I would say that while Mariota was a little bit more polished of a player in certain respects, he's a more robotic player than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson had more feel, um, and that just showed up in terms of how he processed information. It felt to me that it's always felt to me that um, that there's a computer processor going off in in Marcus Mariota's head, and sometimes the blue screen pops up. Um, and when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, I feel like man, that's good. I hate you. That's so good, Matt. Damn it. <laughs> but you, we can credit we can credit my we can that's part of a long going discussion I had with our mutual friend Eric Stoner back in the day when he was writing for me. Um, because you know, I always said that he was a task oriented quarterback, that Marcus Mariota was task oriented and that you have creative managers and task oriented managers and Tom Brady to line. me. It's so Tom good. Brady. It's so accurate. I, I really love when you bring See, for me, business and football are so 
interestingly mirrored and yeah. you bring these concepts into it and it's like I know there probably is a a sort of niche market for that little analysis <laughs> but man I am smack dab in the wheelhouse of that niche market I appreciate it no, I'm glad because and and a lot of people comment to me about that that they like it. So I'm I keep doing it. So it's like you know you look at you look at that and it really is that you know Tom Brady to me was the ultimate task oriented quarterback. He just does it so well that it's not that noticeable because you know you knock him off his spot and tell him to play you know play off script and he can't do it. That's just not his gig, you know. But if you if you let him prepare maniacally and you give him and you give him the 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 situations to read and understand when he's going to read them. It's, he's going to make it look intuitive and flawless, but it's not really his deal. Brett Favre's the guy who's the, you know, the fly at the seat of the pants, creative manager who inspires, but also, you know, I mean, shit, he came up with the RPO by, you know, I mean, he didn't know a nickel defense, but he came up, he invented, he practically invented the RPO. You know, I've always joked around that Brett Favre is kind of like quarterbacking is like, trying to play chess during a ballroom brawl, hmm. you know? And hmm. so, you, you know, and so, you, you know, basically I've joked that Brett Favre was the type of guy that, you know, that, you know, you'd, Checkmate you know, you, you'd, you'd hit, hit Yeah. You, you'd basically, he'd, he'd move his, his queen and, you know, his opponent would basically take the queen, bite off its head and then poke Brett Favre in the eye with it. And then Brett Favre would like turn around and pull the thing out of his eye, grit it, you know, sharpen it with his teeth and then stab the guy to death and say game over, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it that's brutal and, and violent, but it's like you, you know, you look at the creative adaptable side of Lamar Jackson compared to Mar Marcus Mariota and Marcus, they're different players to me. Steve Young was a creative player who learned to be more task oriented. And I think that L Lamar Jackson is kind of a similar way. Um, you know, Michael Vick is a creative player who never learned to be task oriented. Um, and I think that he somewhere falls in between those two players. And if as long as you don't try to overrun him. And you and you try and calm him down and say, look, don't lower your pads into the linebacker. Just don't do it. If I see you do that, I will kick your ass personally. You need to like you you I, slide, just slide or run out of bounds. I don't care if you only got five instead of 50. Just slide for God's sake, because we want you on the next play. And you drill that into his head and. But most of the time, he's going to look to throw. And what the receivers at the Browns can have, and if you can give them time to develop there, honestly, you know, to me, the development isn't about, you know, the footwork's going to have to, he's going to have to work on, but he's going to do that. I mean, shoot, the guy came in and he never had a playbook in his life in high school. He ran a no huddle, um, no huddle shotgun offense without a playbook. Um, and when he went to Louisville, his mom helped him learn his play playbook. And that's the other element about him that they're going to make him out to be that he has a mom like Eli Apple. His mom's never asked for an interview. It's not about her. She always tells people that she just wants all the attention to be on him, not about her. So she doesn't take a single interview. She just happens to look out for him. She happened to be an athlete. So he doesn't have an agent thing is such yeah. nonsense to me. Uh, it is. As I that was that was one of the areas I really considered making my living in, and one of the reasons I didn't is because Lamar Jackson's right. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like that's there's no need for this. Like, yes. especially in a world where the early contracts are slotted, it's just 
That's just so far off the board. It's just math at that point. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and so, you know, he, he's, they're going to make a big deal out of it, but it's not like Ricky Williams and Master P. It's not like <laughs> Eli Apple and Eli Apple's yeah. mom. You know, this is this is a stable mother human being who does not want any attention. She just wants to be protective of her son in a healthy way, and who actually knew the game well enough to help him teach the, to help him learn the playbook. She helped him learn the playbook at Louisville. Right. And and by and the ultimately, way, I'm not sure any of this is our damn business, which is the part no. that gets me. You know what I mean? It's I like, agree, you he, know, he, we're all grownups here. He gets yeah. to, to he already did what he did. You can yeah. choose him, not choose him. And then he'll yeah. go on and do what he not does. Oh, leave, and, leave his mother out of yeah. it. You know what I mean? And, and Yeah, exactly. And by the way, you know, speaking of Bobby Petrino, for all the for all the things that he's been about negatively, what you mentioned about him as a as a you know the good, I, I was reading about how Tom Coughlin said that 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 Bobby Petrino was the best offensive play caller right. he had ever Whatever been around else. in the NFL. Whatever else yeah. we can talk about, like people that know what the hell they're talking about, think this guy's a football genius. So yes, yeah, well, and which is why he's still back at Louisville after what happened in that's Arkansas. Right. That's you right. know, and and why I mistakenly love Tyler, Damn, which is how he so. was in Arkansas <laughs> after what happened that. Atlanta, you know, like, yes, my God, all of it. Yeah. Petrillo is a mess. And yet his football genius has propelled his perseverance in this industry. There's no way around that. So you have a kid who's, and here's the thing. I mean, and, and I've, I think I've written somehow Lamar Jackson was good enough for him. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, and he needed to convince him because Bobby Petrino said, you know, I was reading this, I believe it was over at SB Nation where I read this profile. And, you know, I mean, everyone, you know, Lamar Jackson wanted to play quarterback in high school. His high school coach had, had actually coached Doug Peterson, I think, at one time um, and had coached another pro quarterback at one time. And, you know, he said, well, yeah, sure, but you got to get your grades up. You're, you know, you're not doing well, you know, come back to me when you get your grades up. And, and, you know, Lamar Jackson was like, yeah, I'll get my grades up and I'm going to be your starting quarterback this summer. (laughs) And the guy's like, yeah, whatever, you know, Lamar Jackson got straight A's came back. And the first day of practice, the coach is just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, good for you. You're, you know, here you go, get your shot. And like the first time he saw Lamar Jackson put his foot in the ground, he thought, Holy shit! It's Tommy Frazier from Nebraska, and then he saw Lamar Jackson throw, wow. and he and he was like, "It's over." He's in in fifteen I fear, minutes. I fear a great percentage of my audience will not know how great Tommy Frazier was. Right, they probably won't. But it's you know, but go look up Nebraska highlights and you'll find out. But you know, you know when you look, side note, Matt, I don't mean to yeah. do this to you, but my no, best please. man was the starting left guard at Arizona State on that team that beat the team the year after. So wow. the, ni- the nineteen to nothing Tempe monster game. My best friend was the starting left guard of that game for wow. Arizona State with Jake Plummer and Pat Tillman. He is emblazoned on the side of the stadium at Arizona State these days in a captain line holding hands with Pat Tillman at the Sun Bowl for 1998. So pretty cool stuff. Side note for the local knowledge. Anyway, back to Lamar. Very nice. (laughs) But, you know, when you look at this, you know, you got to understand that then he goes to then then he gets recruited by Louisville a little bit. But Bobby Petrino the entire time is not really all that sold on him because he wants a quarterback right he doesn't want a guy who just runs around and and you know played in the no huddle he, he wants seen him. 
he hasn't seen him. And so he's seen him. He goes, he's a great athlete. You know, if we bring him in and if we bring him in and, you know, maybe he can switch to another position if we want, if he doesn't work out a quarterback, but whatever, you know, so that's from the tape that he looked at with him. So then the coach at the high school said, okay, I want change your change, change your video, Lamar. I want you to only show him throws, you know? And so they, they sent the video to him. And apparently the report was, is that Petrino was watching the recruiting tape and came across Jackson again and forgot, had forgot about watching him as a runner and had what he had said about him. And he saw him as a thrower and was like, who is this guy? And just got like all excited and was like, that's the same guy that I was watching that I said, oh, no, we got to get him, you know. And and it was within, you know, it was that kind of thing. And and Petrino, the coaching, what I told you about, they did this whole thing with um, visual reality with him where they do VR. And he sits every – he sat every morning as a freshman all the way through now where they he would watch himself play. And he could see everything on the field with these goggles. So he would literally just be there with some McDonald's hash browns, apparently, and the VR goggles. And he would look at everything he did. He'd study what the receivers were doing. He'd study what the line was doing. He'd see his drops, and he'd and he'd feel the the flashes of bodies around the line, which is what trips up guys like. John, you know, Baker Mayfield and, and, and Josh Allen sometimes as they drop their eyes from pressure because they see a flash of a, of a different color jersey that's being well blocked. And Jackson got to look at all that. And apparently he said, you know, at first I wasn't sure why I was doing all this. I didn't quite understand everything that I was looking at, but I was doing this every single day at 6 a.m. in the morning, first thing in the morning for a couple hours or an hour a day. And it started to be, I started to see things. I started to see how, why all the connections to things. And I was starting to enjoy it. And I realized I really loved doing all this. And I was learning and I was understanding why my feet were doing what they were doing and what, you know, where the pocket, things were going on in the pocket and where I should be and what I should be and how to keep my eyes downfield. And so you look at those types of coaching things and, and I think, from an intuitive preparation, how to handle the the hard stuff to me is maneuvering the pocket and throwing accurately, knowing where to place the ball, understanding not to get tripped up by underneath coverage, finding the finding the the correct coverage leverage. He is not hitting to, the crossbar from fifty yards on your knees. No, you know that. I mean, that gets bonus <laughs> points, I guess. You know, in a video game, but you know, just take the long ball, man. The, right, exactly. You know, <laughs> but you know, other than other than that, you know, otherwise, I'm sure there's that's tricks trick shot kid at UConn who made all the YouTube videos would be a starting quarterback. Okay, so at this I have point. a ten year old son, and Dude Perfect is like his world. You got to understand, this is the big deal for those kids yeah see so so i mean that's the thing you know but but i mean at the same time that's the thing you know people looked at it but there's a little more of an element going on there because we got to understand that there are certain players who get nitpicked more than others Mm. patrick mahomes got nitpicked an awful lot um and (laughs) you know and he threw you know because Again, he played. He played an offense that they said, "Oh, it's the air raid. It's not. You know, it's it, he's not ready." Even though he actually made more adjustments pre-snap and and did a lot more complex things than what people really truly realized about him. There's and a the disconnect, of, right? There's a disconnect yeah. between he's not ready and 
the NFL has its head up its ass. Yes. Yes. Perfect. And that's exactly what it is. And, you know, part of it is an, the best way to sum up the NFL is this. They were they are a fan. Like I said, early, you know, in another segment of the show in the previous show is that they are a family company that started, you know, as nothing made themselves good in an industry where there's no competition. And then as they've gotten bigger and better, they've gotten all the accolades, but they still have the same processes and mindset from decades ago. And so as a result, when anyone new comes into the fold and has a new idea that's compelling, they tend to be resistant by saying, you don't understand what this league is about. You don't understand, you know, we've had success doing it this way forever. We don't have any need to have to try anything different. You know, you don't get it. Information is bad. You know, and, and uh, yes, it's the, even scouting. That's the funny thing is that's why I did the scouting, the RSP, because when I talked to former scouts, I asked Matt Williamson once, a former Brown scout, who's, you know, former ESPN writer. He's fantastic. I love Matt. We go He's back great. and forth all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's great. And, and, and I, I asked him about scouting years ago and I was like, what, you know, how'd you become a scout? Well, you know, I, I worked with these guys in the Pittsburgh area at a high school and watched tape every day and learned the game. And then I got to become a GA at a, a grad assistant at this college. And then, you know, I was over here and that's, I was down the road from that's Cleveland. That's the perfectly, that is the strategic route to the plan, right? Yes. Yes. And I know guys who are trying <clears> to go <throat> that route right now and they're, they're years into it and are very close to being able to get jobs. Right. It's a perfectly that. reasonable route. I don't mean it to, is. Yeah. I'm, it's it, not a, it's, it it's is not the a traditional route. smart, very structured route to where yeah. you want to go. If you want to be involved in football and you need an in that way. Yeah. But here's the problem with that is that it's not the route that is the problem. It's right. what happens when you get the job. Right. Because I said, how'd you get the job? He said, well, you know, they gave me the interview. I apparently did all right. And they had me watch some tape of a player and, and I just wrote down everything that I saw and handed it to them, and they hired me. So did they tell you how you did? No. They did, I just assumed I did well enough because I got the job. Well, that makes sense. Common sense, yeah. So did you get any training once you got in there? No, not really. <laughs> but they, they gave you the option if you wanted to to go into nah, position No, you're good. Meetings. You know what you're doing already. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, exactly. You're good. You know what you're doing. You're going to work 80 hours a week. This is what you're going to do. And then, then you look at the scoring system. And you look at the scoring grade, and it's a, a zero through nine system. Suddenly, it looks like these performance evaluations. Only Lawrence Taylor ever got a real high score, and nobody ever, you know. So you never see these like off the wall, high high end scores. But on top of that, what's more important is if you brought in ten scouts and varying different degrees of experience, the grizzled twenty year veteran who who probably sees more in, in one play than, you know, you know, 10 of us combined to the guy who's, you know, 20 years old, making $22,000 a year, um, you know, who just got in and is just happy to be in the room. And you took that whole range of players of scouts into there and you, and you asked them to define one of the things that they score. I bet you'd get at least eight different answers and they vary so much that how could you rely on your scouting grades? Because no one seems to know what, 
what the definition is for what they're grading. And 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 then when you think about that definition, does that definition really apply to what your team wants? You know, maybe there's a certain variation of what your team's looking for. And so if you don't have a good scoring system, it doesn't matter how much of a great eye you have. If you're not being able to develop a system that's going to be better for what your players are and what they do. So when you look at this whole quarter quarterback situation, teams don't know what they want and then they don't know how to identify it and they don't know how to go get it. And so, you know, to me, I look at well, Lamar Jackson, the Browns. I mean, let's be yeah, real about and, it. They oh, don't yeah. have any clue what they're looking for. And, and, and we just have to wait and see yeah. what, what the new group thinks they're looking for. Yeah. And it's not the, and it's not the scouts fault. You know, right. it's just there. That's what they've learned. And that's where they come from. So when a Greg Gabriel, you know, talks on his speaks on his authority, he's saying this is how the NFL did it. And he did it for long enough that his bully pulpit, his way of making his living, his way of being the voice of experience and of his level of authority is this is how the NFL does things. This is what they've done. And this is how it is. <laughs> it shall it's, never change. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, that it's, it's always, it's, and so sometimes people look at that and, you know, you know, he may, you know, he may or may not understand that. I don't know. I've never had a discussion with Greg, but you know, I know that. I, I know saw that the Chris his, Brown discussion with him and I'll just say that I see the floor to Mr. Brown. Right. Right. Yeah. There you go. And it's just, it's just one of those deals to, you know, when you look at his deal, it's, uh, you know, it's more from that perspective of, you know, people saying I was affiliated with the NFL. I know what they do and this is how things are done. But it's it's kind of like if you came in as a new manager or a consultant to a company where this president told you to come in there and to do some work <laughs> and you go into the floor. I deal with the customers. Levels, and they, exactly. Don't you understand? You don't understand what I do. And, you know, I move this to this. What the hell is wrong with you people? What a, exactly. And it, or it's like, we've always done it this way. Who are you to tell me mm. how I am to do my job? And I go, well, considering that your boss's boss's boss paid for me to come in here to tell you to do what I think you should do. Apparently they think I know better than you. You know, it always, so, it, it never yeah. ceases to me to amaze me yeah. Matt, that the, well, this is what the NFL thinks, or this is how the NFL does it. Line of reasoning gains so much traction in a world where let's be real about just the, where the rubber meets the road facts of these things. There are yeah. three, four, five-ish organizations beating the living shit out of the rest of this league on an annual basis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because of this stuff. It's because of how you operate. It's not luck. It's not, oh, the Steelers just get better call. People, you know, it's not about you get more calls from the officials in the game. Everybody thinks so-and-so's cheated. Everybody thinks so-and-so gets the calls. Blah, blah, blah. No. There are a handful of teams that actually have a coherent, cohesive philosophy to which they adhere religiously and in which they believe religiously. And they believe these things based at least – this is purely my observation of it. But they believe these things based on real hard evidence, numbers, yeah. film, all of it experience all that stuff sort of melded together in a mix of art and science 
that's what does it right. And that, to me, is what you need in a vision if you're going to draft Lamar Jackson number one. Yeah, and to me, that's what that what what has to be there is you need that type of thing. Otherwise, you know, the mentality is going to be well, the way we do things here. Well, the way you think, you know, that's the same thing as if I said, "How do you make gourmet food?" Well, the way we do things here at McDonald's is <laughs> that you take the sesame seed patty or the sesame seed bun, and you have cooked this patty. And you throw it around, and then maybe you wipe your behind with it, and you put it on there just because if the customer's not all that great. Mm. But that's how we did it here. If you weren't a good customer and you ask a dumb question up at the front of the counter, you know, and and that's that's how it goes. You know, don't ask me about gourmet food, you know, because that's just not realistic. That's not how things are done at McDonald's. McDonald's makes a ton of money, and they've been around forever, and they rule the world, and they've served nearly trillions you know they've served trillions served at this point so why are you going to question us you know that's that's kind of the attitude of the nfl with a lot of things right now and i love the nfl i love the game you know i love the players i love the i love the competition i don't necessarily love the the i don't love the structure i don't love the way the league manages things i think if the league were more like the nba um, we would be, it would be such a more, a better league, um, for, for, for everybody. I think that it would be a, it would just be a more exciting and more evolved, um, way of looking at things. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, hmm. if Lamar Jackson to me is, I would say the Browns should, should draft Lamar Jackson because he's the exact opposite player that they're thinking about drafting. Um, and they need to realize that maybe they need to use a reverse barometer with their quarterbacking um, in their process right now because everything that they do has turned to shit when it comes to picking a quarterback. So pick the quarterback that you think is shit because he's actually going, because he's actually (laughs) going to turn out to save your franchise because you already have the blocking in place, the big time receiver who can, who you can barely out throw. And another one who, if he's on the field, you can barely out throw. And you have a quarterback who can, who, who can hit him. And if that doesn't work, um, he can also run. So you're going to, you're going to create instant offense. You're going to make that defense better because you're going to be able to stay tight in games. And you've, and really when it comes to just playmaking skill, I mean, Jesus, if Deshaun Watson can come in and do what he did at Thank Houston, you. if, and he is not as good of a quarterback as Lamar Jackson is. He's just not, he just had better talent around him. He's a good quarterback. I don't have any. And there's something special about Deshaun Watson. Let's all. Uh, yes. Yes. There just is. But yes. I don't know how you make that argument without yeah. going, looking over at Lamar Jackson and going, okay, I'm betting on him yeah. too. <laughs> like yes. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you also have, you also have this problem with owners is that these owners, these owners like Jerry Richardson, who, you know, doesn't want a tattooed um, quarterback, but at the same time has no problem asking for foot massages from admins. So, you know, you have that kind of mentality where they want a player that they can Uh, bring over to their seems relatively liberal on his hiring requirements i mean he's willing to yes, keep the has. guy who's one in 31 so that's true so <laughs> yeah, that's true but you know at the same time 
you, you know, he also seems to be changeable to whatever people tell him yeah. at that moment that he's hired until they they haven't gotten the results and then he doesn't trust him anymore and he wants to throw Yeah, you better out. be good quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so I think that when you look at this, yeah, I, I do actually think they should question themselves enough to say, we haven't picked a good quarterback yet. Um, if we really hate him, I mean, I'm joking, but I would say, yeah, if we really hate him, that must be, we must really be on to something. Let's go ahead and pick him. But, um, but the, but the real truth of the answer is, is that he really is the best prepared to, to be able to create offense for you and also do it in and outside of structure. And the Browns need a player who can do that and be dynamic, both in the short game, the long game and the running game. I love it. I'm glad I asked the question because it has struck me how limited the, I guess, advocacy, whatever, however you want to characterize it. It surprises me how rarely he seems to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick for the Browns and, and well, yeah, potentially franchise changing kind of guy to me as admittedly for me this year, I'm particularly unstudied. And so it's easy to say, Hey, these guys, there are four or five of them that look like, Hey, what the hell? Um, right. But I don't know how Jackson's not one of them with all the experience and the and the production. But it's it's a it's an image sport, and True they story. because they always say that they're the CEO of the team, which is wrong. But they want to say that. Well, you know, they want the kid that they can invite and put in front of the exclusive restricted country club, and not have the members be horrified. Or think that there's the guy that they had back in the day enter the room from the exit as opposed to the entrance. And that, and you know and what I want from my quarterback in the modern age, Matt? I want him to be able to hold up a Lombardi and bomb a drive. And I got a hundred bucks right here in my flat exactly. hand that says Lamar Jackson can do both of those things. I can I agree with you. And it's and to me it's you know, it's a shame that we're still in that kind of society at times, but there is, you know, part of it is it's not so much to me a a um, conscious bias. Like I, you know, the reason uh, I defend totally, Bill Polian, totally. The the reason I defend Bill Polian is that listen, Bill Polian, Bill Pol- There are two quarterbacks. I totally agree with him that he liked. One was Chad Kelly. I'm a total Chad Kelly fan um, in terms of his ability, and you know, I think that. You know, Bill Polian said he was the best quarterback he's seen in the past two years. That was last year he said that. And I could I may not have been with him totally on that, but he was up there for me. And then the other quarterback that he really liked is another story that I heard um, back in the day was I really liked Nate Davis out of Ball State. Now, if you don't know Nate Davis, Nate Davis is a black quarterback. So Nate Davis had an incredible, you know, he had an incredible arm, incredible ability to throw, very intuitive game, managed the pocket well, big, quick, but played from the pocket, you you know, more than anything. Well, he didn't, he didn't stay, he didn't get into the draft in terms of really high because he had a learning disability. So that kind of dropped him and he played at Ball State. So he ends up going to the San Francisco 49ers where it was Alex Smith was struggling to maintain his hold on the job. And every time they put Nate Davison in the preseason, he was just killing it. And he looked fantastic. And you saw the, the promise there, but he didn't work at his craft. Um, and he didn't get on the good side of old school coach Mike Singletary. And when you don't get on Mike Singletary's good side, you're, you know, you're going to sit Vernon Davis. So, you know, you see that kind of thing. And, you know, he ended up having, uh, you know, a short ex, a quick exit. But this was during the time that 
when Peyton Manning had hurt his neck and they didn't know what they were going to do. They, they had, he might need surgery and they didn't realize that until the summer. So at that time I was told that Bill Polian had had a first high first round grade on Nate Davis. So it wasn't like some, you know, conscious thing where he looks at, you know, black quarterbacks don't have the, you know, the skills or the capacities to play the game. He looked at Nate Davis and said, I, I had him graded as a high first round pick. We just didn't need a quarterback. We had Peyton Manning. Um, but now that we do, let's bring him in and give him a give him an opportunity. And we'll look at this as an extended tryout, because if he makes the team and plays to the level that we expect him to, we could wind up having him. And then if Peyton never comes back or he's not the same, we have our franchise quarterback. Well, they brought in Nate Davis, and Nate Davis played like he did in San Francisco, which was that he thought he was the man already. He didn't work. He came in out of shape, and he kept dive-bombing the ball into the ground in the first week, and they they let him go within a week because he wasn't ready or focused. But the point I'm saying is that Bill Polian just looks at it strictly from that whole bulleted point formula. Sure, it's an an angle thing. It's not not so much a... I see a black quarterback and assume he can't yeah. play a thing. It's but it's but, definitely it just is the, gonna it's gonna by the, the nature does of, it. by the nature of the angle, it's going to inherently affect a black quarterback it, more. It often does. Than not. It yeah. it inherently because what happens is it's it's suddenly, you know, he doesn't fit all the traditional right. um looks of things, but he has other skills that are actually as good or better. Or they're expressed, or he has the skills, but they're expressed a little differently. And then you look at things that you apply that are culturally biased, that that are that you're trying to be blind about race. But what you're actually doing is that you can't be blind about race. You actually have to acknowledge that, that there are differences that exist in terms of just culturally, socially, how people look at things and do things, and just recognize that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. it's called diversity as opposed to as opposed to you know being colorblind because if you try and pretend it doesn't exist then what you're actually doing is not acknowledging the differences that are actually positive too. Um and so you know you what you end up having is that you end up trying to apply a standard that is it's not even a standard because a standard's a dangerous thing when you say a standard you're saying this is this is good and he doesn't meet the standard. So he's not good enough. So now he's getting rewarded for not being good enough, which is not what that is. It's about actually, it's about actually giving an equal opportunity to perform based on merit and the merits are there. You just have to look at things in a standpoint where you're actually understanding what the merits are supposed to be. And, and so what ends up happening is that little things get kind of pushed in that you don't even realize. Trying to looking win football at. games here, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and you're trying to win football games, and 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 you're nitpicking things like his smile, like that the media would nitpick Cam Newton's smile, you know, or how he handled a loss, you know. But they don't nitpick how other players like Tom Brady handles a loss in, in on camera, 
and how he looks on camera and what he does. But you, Or you look at Teddy Bridgewater. This was a perfect example, and I got in a lot of hot water around that years ago because I, I basically said what I'm saying now is that there's a lot of inherent racism that isn't even wittingly racism. It's just it's just kind of institutionalized, and institutionalized isn't necessary, necessarily like a government agency or a business saying, this is our plan, and this is what we're trying to do. It's more inherent attitudes that are ignorant that don't realize that they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing and There's they're hurting themselves. There's a lot of to us as a people. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so when you look at Teddy, it was always, he's he's not a good leader. He's not going to be a good leader because he's too soft-spoken. That was one of the main things that an executive said. And then I had a I had someone in the NFL hand me a leadership um, assessment that they do, that they hire a consulting firm of like industrial psychologists with some sort of military angle that they do these like intense interrogations of all the prospects, you know, for various teams when they bring those prospects in. And Teddy Bridgewater actually scored higher than any of the quarterbacks in that class in things like focus, self-efficacy, um, you know, accountability. Were you part of the um, $100,000 Cleveland Brown study commissioned by Joe Banner that led to Teddy Bridgewater that they ignored in favor of Johnny Manziel? Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> and that might have been it. So, but it was, but it was, you know, I got, I got to see some of that and he scored, he scored some of the highest scores and he was higher than most of the quarterbacks. And if you have any experience interviewing anybody, you could have seen that on the John Gruden quarterback camp with the mm-hmm. body language and, mm-hmm. and the, and the, and the the things that he did, you could tell he was like he owned everything that he was about, and you could tell what he was. Teddy was, was the guy, son. dude. Teddy he, was, yeah, the guy. he was a tough motherfucker on the field. Who basically, when you know they're watching a play together, and that's what I loved about John Gruden because John Gruden would play all nice and yuck it up with you, and then he'd slip in a couple of things that even most fans don't even notice. Yeah, he was like, going to be honest with you as a prospect. Like he, yeah. there, there was a moment in every one of those broadcasts where. He broke down a moment to this kid and would say, here's where you don't have anywhere near what you think you have. Yeah. There, I know, one for every you know that you can't say shit about what I'm about to show right. you other than, yep, I own this. Yep. Are you going to own it? Right. And I remember like comparing him. Bridgewater with the with the Clemson quarterback before Watson. I don't remember his name, but that Clemson Taj quarterback. Boyd. Taj Boyd. Yeah. Taj. Taj, there was a scene where that was coming, and you see Taj's face and body language, and the body language says, "Oh man, I know what's I'm coming. screwed." Yep. <laughs> and 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 then there's a play with Teddy when when they do that, and Teddy's like, "Yep, that happened. Uh, that's that's how it went." And didn't you say that you wanted to go home? Yeah, I did. I wanted to go home. I did this, but then I learned this, 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 and this. What of it? You know, what do you what do you want from me? And then, you know, then Gruden would after that was like, so, you know, let's look at this play in Syracuse where the guy broke your jaw in the in the first quarter of the game. And then you played lights out after that. And you look at him and he's looking like that's what I'm about. I'm ready to sign Teddy right now as a free agent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And to me, that's the whole thing. It's like you really you sign Teddy Bridgewater. You. You know, you draft a, a quarterback in the middle rounds. Hell, you know, at this rate, maybe they'll make up something about Lamar Jackson and he'll fall to the third or fourth round and you can draft him behind Teddy. And if Teddy doesn't work out, you've got Lamar Jackson there. I think it'd be a waste of resources, but 
you know that you know those are those are some other options that you could consider as well but i you know i'm with you it's it's a factor where there is a little bit of that in play and it's an emotional and complex topic um that is hard to have a discussion that's that's usually rational for anyone to be able to handle if they are not you know, familiar or nuanced or open to it. Um, but there is a little bit of that element at play with some teams. Um, and some of it's not yeah, always, well and the I media, think that's the way it is. Yeah. Look, there are yeah. some teams for whom this man will not be a consideration yeah. and you can think whatever you want about it. I think it's ridiculous yeah. and lame, but oh, it is the world it is. is the world. So it, it is. And then you have media that makes it worse um, because they're not very well trained in it either. Um, and they also, tend to also have attitudes where that they're not really cognizant of human nature in a way that they they like to think that they're kings of but they aren't um so you have some of that you have some of that in play too because why you know why why ask 10 different questions at the combine about whether he's going to play whether he's interested in being a wide receiver or open to it when he already gave the answer like he, he already gave the answer you know, well before the combine, why are you going to ask it a million other times? Why are you going to, why are you going to, you know, some of the things that just are discussed about, you know, why are you going to entertain some of the, the things that are said? Because it gets people to read you, but it's not, but if you were, you know, you were going to be serious about what you're reporting and actually have a reputation where you're, where people look at you and go, you know what, I'm going to read this site because, when they give me information, it's there's something rock solid about that. It's not bullshit, or it's just not stuff that's just that I could find. That's not the the you know 23 year old male's version of the view, you know. But the, you know that that's what happens these days. Is that oh well, it's juicy. Oh, it's kind of controversial. Oh, it's you know it's going to get me clicks, you know. But just being popular doesn't make you a good journalist. And we have a lot of journalists who, you know, back in the day, a journalist would look at some of these things and, you know, maybe the race issue would be newer, but there'd be certain issues that would be, have parallels to that where they'd go, these statements are ridiculous and we're not even going to print them because right. it just That's, shows how stupid we are to even entertain this. Right. And, I, and we're in, as a society, we've fallen back into We should this be beyond this by now. Right. Yes, we should. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we've covered Lamar Jackson at some extent. And I really the appreciate ground, right? it. We, well, <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm going to do this with each, with each of these guys because, look, you might as well. We've got a month and a half or two months. I've got enough relationships in this little business here that I can yeah, ask, ask people on who can make competent cases for all of them. And this was certainly one for Lamar Jackson, Matt. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, man. That's Matt Waldman at Matt Waldman on Twitter. Find him at football guys. Matt, remind me the website. It's Matt Waldman.com or Matt Waldman, RSP.com. Matt Waldman, RSP.com. Okay. That is the website. Go check it out. I couldn't, there's not a single piece of draft related content that I would recommend more wholeheartedly than the RSP. Go out Thank there. Thank you much, man. Get it. You know it. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. So there you have it. That's Matt Waldman here on the Browns Note Podcast making the case for Lamar Jackson. Find Matt at Matt Waldman. 
You can find me, Ryan Burns, at FTBL Sickness. You can find The Browns Note at The Browns Note on Twitter. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Obviously, it was a tad more than merely a case about the football case for Lamar Jackson, and and that's I wouldn't be doing this stuff if it wasn't for a little more than just the football case. So I hope uh, I hope that our little self indulgences, as these podcasts tend to become from time to time, uh, meet with your approval at least often enough that you keep coming back. And with that, I thank you. Please hook us up with a review. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit us on iTunes with the five star, uh, preferably a five star. You know how that goes. It's just like anything else. We all want to do the best we can. Go Browns. Woof. Woof.